I guess I'll back up and say that uh, in one of my courses, um, we were learning about uh, cider production, and in Washington State in 2006, there was 85,000 gallons produced. Okay. That sounds like a lot, but it's not. Right. Uh, flash forward to 2016, 850,000 gallons produced, and in that interim, nobody planted these special cider apple trees, and so I saw a gap there, and we went and canvassed the area and asked uh, local cider makers in the region um, if they'd be interested in these special apples, and every single one said we'd buy every apple you could produce. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 189 of the Camino Voice. Today I speak with a cider maker, orchardist, uh, the first certified pommelier in Skagit County, as well as the owner and founder of both Bitters and Sharps Orchard and Alma Cider. Please welcome Dave Clower. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice Podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they're going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. And I am excited for this episode um, where we get to talk about all things apple and cider. Uh, but the reason, uh, or at least one of the reasons that we are doing this episode today, is Dave is also collaborating with us in the first annual Kameno Cider Fest. So we are so excited for that today. Uh, we've got that coming out this coming uh, September 2nd, Saturday, September 2nd. We have two windows you can sign up for. There's a, it's a ticketed event. Um, so this is kind of our first uh, foray into ticketed events here. Um, but we're super excited. Each ticket gets you a uh, commemorative uh, tasting glass that you get to take home with you. And then um, also gets you, I think, six to eight samples. I don't remember exactly, but you get samples of cider. That's the important thing. Uh, we're going to have merch available for purchase. You're going to be, I, I think a lot of the ciders are actually bringing their bottles and stuff for sale as well. So you'll be able to do that. Um, yeah. So we're just really excited about this event. It's coming up here. Um, again, Saturday, September 2nd, there's an 11 o'clock and a two o'clock tasting time slot. We're going to have live music. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, plus we've got the new primal, open here at the complex. So that's a barbecue place opened by the same owners as Tapped Camino. So you know they're going to be good. Uh, and I've eaten there far too many times this last week. Um, so yeah, be sure to check them out. Of course, Bay Cafe is going to be there. Uh, Subjoint will be there. Um, Tapped and Primal. So you got all the options there for food. Um, so yeah, again, Camino Cider Fest, sign up. I will have a link in the description of this podcast below. So be sure to go down there, sign up now before tickets sell out. Uh, they are $35 uh, online or they will be uh, $40 at the door. Um, besides that, yeah, be sure to check it out. It's going to be a good time. So, um, but not only do we want to get Dave on the podcast to talk about Cider Fest, but we also wanted to talk to him about cider making. So um, as I mentioned in his titles, uh, he was the first certified pommelier in Skagit County, which a pommelier is like a sommelier, um, or I forget the beer name one, but basically 
Um, you know, every I think most people know what a sommelier is with wine, right? They they are a wine taster. They you, there's a pretty rigorous testing for it all. And uh, ciders actually have a very similar thing, and that's what a pommelier is. Um, so he is um, well versed in that. He is one of the early adopters of growing cider apples in Skagit County and in uh, this area. Um, and so we get into all the different things about different apples, ciders, things like that, the process for it. Um, and we even get into some lore, like Johnny Appleseed lore. So that was fun. Um, so we get into all sorts of things and more. Um, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Dave Clower. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm here with the first uh, certified pommelier in Skagit County, as well as the owner and founder of Alma Cider and Bitters and Sharps Orchard. Welcome to the podcast, Dave Clower. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Dave. Uh, Yeah, so I I grew up in uh, Southern California, and I'm a registered nurse. And uh, I became a travel nurse in about 2006 and traveled over the Western U.S. And that's how I came to Washington State. Um, I wanted to be a, a pro snowboarder back in the 90s. And okay. uh, I hurt myself pretty bad down in the Andes in South America. And I had seen a video of the world record snowfall in Mount Baker, Washington. And when I had the opportunity to travel here as a nurse, uh, I jumped on it. And I came here in 2008, and now I'm from Washington. All right. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. What was the, um, what, as far as snowboarding is concerned, was that something uh, your family was really into, or did you just really get into it? Yeah, so we grew up by the beach and grew up uh, surfing and skateboarding, and uh, my family would take winter trips. Um, and I just really fell in love with the sport and uh, kind of floating down the mountain. And so I kept at it and tried to get bigger and better and then went too big. (laughs) And uh, so that ended any uh, professional uh, opportunities, but I still get on the mountain now. I just kind of take it slow and mellow. Yeah, Mm -hmm. very cool. Uh, During that time, who are the the pro snowboarders? Um, Let's see. Uh, I'm totally blanking. I don't even have a, a no, good answer good. for you right now. Because uh, that was before Sean White then, right? Yeah, this was about like 94 when I okay. when I got injured. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, they, I wish I could give you No, <laughs> they're not ones that like... Sean White's probably the only pro snowboarder I know. Yeah. And that's probably mainly because I followed Tony Hawk for a long time. And then Sean White came out with a snowboarding video game and that's probably why i know the name <laughs> right and he was on the olympic team yeah. um so yeah prior to the snowboarding being an olympic sport uh we just like to get out there and and carve down the mountain yeah very cool so um as you were growing up um was nursing and cider were any of these things on your radar or no, um, so I thought about going to school for uh, viticulture at uh, UC Davis. Viticulture is um, growing uh, grapes for wine. Okay. And um, my folks uh, discouraged me from that and said, you know, I don't know if there's a lot of money in, in, in growing grapes for wine. So I went to school for fisheries, and then um, I got married. I was going to have a baby and uh, wasn't earning enough money. Uh, I really liked working outside. 
but I went back to school for nursing and then um, got to a point where pretty stable in life and uh, was thinking again about, you know, growing stuff and, and working outside. And so I thought maybe I'd have a vineyard and everybody's like, why would you have a vineyard? You're, you're a nurse. Um, so I decided, well, I'll go get my master's in agriculture. Okay. And um, now everybody's like, yeah, it makes sense to have, have an orchard. Uh, <laughs> so here where we live in the northwestern part of Washington, uh, apples grow really well. Yep. And actually, I kind of fell into luck right in my hometown, Mount Vernon, Washington, where we um, grow apples and make cider. The uh, Washington State University Extension is there, yep. and they actually have the, um, the largest cider apple research facility in the United States in wow. terms of numbers of types, cultivars of apples. So uh, I kind of fell into that as far as, hey, this grows well here, and I could still make something with this. And so that's sort of how that came about. Uh, we went and canvassed the area. Um, I guess I'll back up and say that uh, in one of my courses, um, we were learning about uh, cider production. And in Washington State in 2006, there was 85,000 gallons produced. Okay. It sounds like a lot, but it's not. Right. Uh, flash forward to 2016, 850,000 gallons produced. And in that interim, nobody planted these special cider apple trees. And so I saw a gap there. And we went and canvassed the area and asked uh, local cider makers in the region um, if they'd be interested in these special apples. And every single one said, we'd buy every apple you could produce. And so <laughs> uh, there was a need and a gap. And so um, we started making apple trees in uh, 2019. Um, we graft the trees and then grow <clears> them <throat> and pick the fruit and then press it and then ferment and age the juice uh, to make cider. And um, so, yeah, I guess that, that's how that came about. Yeah. So, okay, this is a question I I've, I've didn't know. Like, I, I've heard it, and now I'm like, is that really true? Because I thought I've heard both ways. But when it comes to apple trees and, and apples in general, if you just plant a seed, does it always turn into a crab apple tree? Yeah, so it, it'll turn into whatever kind of tree. We don't know because um, the flowers are heterogeneous. So um, it could be pollinated by whatever other flower within a mile. And um, that could produce its very own uh type of apple so a typical apple will have five or six seeds in it uh -huh. and of those five or six seeds you'll get five or six different types of apples wow so if you want to grow something that's um, true to what you think it will be uh, the way to do that is through uh, clonal propagation or grafting okay um, so we graft about a thousand trees every every spring and um, so say you like that tree in your yard and you want to produce more of those exact trees, we'll cut a little cutting of that and then we'll purchase uh, rootstock, which is the root portion that's underground of the tree. And then we will graft, um, connect the scion wood, which is the tree in your yard, yeah. to the rootstock. And then uh, the rootstock um, is chosen for its... Um, uh, different characteristics, so it'll determine the height of the tree, um, the vigor, so how fast it grows, the percocity, so how early it puts on fruit, um, as well as for different uh, pathogen-resistant 
characteristics. Um, and then the top on top, the part on top, the scion, becomes what you see out of the ground and uh, what produces that type of fruit that you liked. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. They're like the, the cats of the fruit kingdom. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so um, if you were to go to a vineyard and you ate a grape, uh, it wouldn't taste good. Um, so because it's not made for eating, it's made for fermenting. Yeah. And so it has those characteristics. And so true cider fruit, uh, also, um, they're not really made for eating. They're made for fermenting. Yeah. 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 So what, what, uh, now obviously we're in Washington, so apples becomes a natural choice, but what was it that kind of drove you towards apples versus continue on with the idea of growing grapes? So there's actually a long-standing history here in this area for uh, apple production for cider production. Okay. And if we went backwards in time um, beyond the colonial days, um, the most drank beverage in the United States was cider. And uh, the reason for that is um, low ABV, um, low alcohol content, and um, it was safer to drink than water. And so all over the country, as the country was expanding and growing, um, workers and other uh, homesteaders migrated west. And the way they decided um, which farms to work at, which by partially by um, figuring out who made the best ciders. And so... (laughs) Um, actually, in the San Juan Islands here near where we are, there's a lot of history, uh, over 160 years of cider production in this area. Okay. And uh, so here in this area, we get ample rain uh, most of the year, and then we have moderate climate, doesn't get too hot, too cold, and then nice dry summers. And um, so it's really ideal for this condition, uh, uh, ideal conditions for growing apples Um, If you look at where we're at, so about uh, 43 latitude on the globe. Yeah. If you went straight across, uh, you would find the apple growing regions in uh, Normandy, France, and also throughout England and Spain. A lot of these places that have kept this tradition on for hundreds of years. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So when it, um, so talking about the kind of that history of cider, um, I remember when I was in college is right when they kind of started having this resurgence. Like, uh, I remember uh, we got Hornsby into the, like, convenience store, and then we got, like, Angry Orchards. Um, what what was it that you felt kind of catalyzed this, this reintroduction of this old old uh, drink beverage? I think people want to know where their uh, produce is from and where stuff is grown, and the craft side of it is is really phenomenal. Um, So as I said, I I graft these trees and then carefully grow them until they produce fruit. And then I'm picking the fruit and then I'm pressing and making juice and then fermenting it. I'm in control as much as I can be uh, outside of nature um, (laughs) for the whole process. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been part of the resurgence is people want to know uh, what they're consuming and where it's from. Yeah. And so the locality of this is 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 pretty special. Um, other companies that you mentioned, you know, national companies who are just cranking out, you know, millions of gallons. Um, it's kind of a different product. So yes. Um, ours, I I want to think is um, we're kind of an elevated uh, high tier product where um, because of the care that we take to 
to grow and produce uh, the product. Um, it's really like nothing else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of that, um, I was just trying to think the other day, I, and I go through the beer section and cider section of, of most of my grocery stores in the area. I haven't seen Hornsby's in a long time. Are they no longer around? Do you know? I don't know. Um, it- yeah, it's hard to keep track. So I know we're lucky in our region um, here near on Camino. We have excellent cider up mm-hmm. in Skagit. We have excellent cider in Whatcom County, uh, Snohomish County, King County. Um, and then on the other side of the mountains where, you know, um, 90% of the country's apples are grown. Uh, there's plenty of apples here, and so there's a lot of opportunity to um, to make really good cider. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's probably been the biggest thing for me. So I, I um, when I turned 21, um, off the bat, I wasn't a huge beer drinker, but I enjoyed the hard ciders. Um, then eventually got into beer, um, but... Those ciders, they were like from Hornsby's and Angry Orchards, which was a very kind of, it's not great, right? Especially if you drink it now uh, in comparison. And so I got used to those ones. It's like, ah, eh, they're not really that exciting. There's not too much uniqueness to them. Um, but then I tried uh, Kamano cider mm-hmm. and their pub cider. And that was something I'd never, I'd never tasted a cider like that. Yeah, so I think um, the difference is that on a national level they're probably you know uh, mass producing uh, they're using commodity bulk juice and um, they're uh, wanted to have a certain uh, sweetness level to have this mass appeal yeah and uh, your palate probably has matured since your first early college <laughs> days and so you're looking for something a little bit more complex uh, probably drier mm-hmm. and that's kind of um, if you wanted to, to have a snapshot description of uh, Northwestern Washington cider, it's going to be, um, you know, have some tartness to it, some good acid, and then be dry. Yeah, very cool. So you started growing these orchards. Um, uh, tell me about what came first. Did you found Alma cider first, or did you start get with Bitters and Sharps orchard? Yeah, so Bitters and Sharps is the name of my company. It's actually um, an orchard management company. We do custom grafting. Okay. If anybody needs some apple trees, uh, a couple for their yard or a couple thousand for their farm, (laughs) uh, hit us up and we can make those trees. Uh, So as I said earlier, we kind of wanted, I wanted to be outside and working and growing things. And um, so when we did our initial canvassing, People were excited about the apples, as were we, so we started making trees. Um, literally, uh, having an orchard is just digging a hole in the ground and throwing money into it. And so <laughs> there's uh, no return on investment for, you know, five to seven years. Uh-huh. And um, so that's kind of hard if you're um, sort of bootstrapping it, as I am doing. Yeah. And so we found that uh, making cider um, can bring in profits sooner. And so we just started making cider in order to pay for the orchard, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Where does the name Alma Cider come from? Yeah, so if we're, uh, apples originate in Central Asia, in the Tenshin Mountains, um, in Kazakhstan. Okay. Um, the If you were to walk out there in the forest, you would see wild apples and wild plums. Um, these wild apple forests, if you go back to you know pre uh greek times 
um, were distributed throughout their trading routes and then um, came west and east, I suppose. And um, the modern-day apple all kind of comes from that lineage. And the first word for apple uh, there is Alma. And so Alma is kind of the OG word for apple. <laughs> uh, it also has cool meanings uh, elsewhere in the world. Uh, so Alma in... Um, in Latin, means uh, nurturing spirit. In Spanish, it means soul. And so we thought, you know, we kind of put our our uh, our heart and spirit and soul into creating these 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 beverages. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Have you ever been able to go visit Kazakhstan? No, no. <laughs> uh, so nowadays, um, not too long ago, I think it's within the ten years um, that the the are protected and so okay. you need some um, really big connections to be able to go into these protected regions um, I know several people who have gone but um, I've not made it yet okay bucket list though yeah very yeah. cool so uh, complete side tangent so is the story of Johnny Appleseed all fake then no <laughs> and actually uh, you know he's buried here in Washington State really yep okay uh, so his last name is uh, Chapman, John Chapman, and um, so I think, you know, it was probably romanticized a bit, but uh, he did travel across the country towards the West Coast and helped propagate uh, apple trees, so uh, I think, from what I know, uh, on his route, he would stop near a river and then plant you know, hundreds or thousands of seeds. Okay. Uh, and those would be good to make the rootstock. And then he'd come back through that area and then graft on um, whatever varieties were popular at the time. And then he was a nurseryman and he sold the trees. But okay. uh, a lot of how um, cider and cider fruit um, kind of migrated across the country um, were due to people, people like him. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so we men you mentioned that uh, apples come from uh, Kazakhstan. Is the environment they have there very similar to what we have here? Well, it's similar in far in terms of like where it is latitude wise. Okay. Um, it is different as far as uh, in relation to to the coast. Um, so in the mountains, kind of foothills is is where those grow, and um, so here we are are fortunate enough that we have you know we're bordered by these volcanoes to our east mm -hmm. um which over time the rivers have washed all this beautiful um glacial till and volcanic soil along with the alluvial drainage that came with the rivers and so on our west we have um the salish sea and so we're protected on two sides and um we have uh, I saw an account once that um, the soil in Skagit Valley is um, in the top six of the world. Wow. And stuff just grows phenomenally here. Yeah. Um, other than that, I don't think there's too much uh, similarities. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. So when working with ciders, um, obviously you've, you use apples in that, but have you used and experimented with other fruits and stuff in it as well? So I'm kind of a traditionalist, so we make um, a peri, and peri is a, um, the equivalent to cider made from apples, but peri is made just from pears. Okay. And there are actually peri pears 
that are specific to Perry making. And uh, so not good for eating either. Okay. Um, but so we make a delightful Perry. Uh, that one just won a double gold award. Um, Congrats. Thank you. Um, and then other than that, I, we make some single varietal ciders because I want people to know what this fruit actually tastes like. Yeah. And um, we don't, I don't usually use lots of adjuncts, um, adding other fruits. Um, having said that, we did uh, pick, I don't know, 100 pounds of cherries this year that I preserved in a way that uh, I might make a cherry uh infused cider um, down the line, but I, I kind of just like like the apples. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So when you when it comes to making ciders out of uh, being kind of that purist, what are ways that you augment your apples, your ciders, and stuff like that to give them different flavors and tones? So I think the apple itself um, can be quite different. Some are more aromatic, some are more bitter, some are sharper. Um, and then, of course, the yeast is really the the driver that controls the flavor, in my opinion. So there's different types of yeast. Uh, We often use white wine or champagne yeast. Um, But you could have uh, one apple pressed and then split into two vessels and use two different yeasts, and it'll come out totally different. Okay. Um, So that's pretty interesting. Um, I think, so uh, while we do make some single varietal ciders um, that I want to showcase just what that apple has, um, I think blends are kind of um, the ultimate, in my opinion, because, as I said, some apples are more aromatic, some are more sharp, uh, higher acid, some are more bitter, um, and really kind of marrying these different uh, fruits together together. Prior or post fermentation, what I think can give ciders that are unmatched by single varietals. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's something I've been kind of experimenting with when it comes to wines. Um, for a long time, I was like, I, I want to learn like the main wines and try the different. But what I found is I like a lot of the blends. Oh yeah, because they just they smooth out any of those like peaks or valleys, and you just you drink it and you're like, oh, I I could drink you know two two three glasses of this. Yeah right. So. Um, I, I remember hearing this story on uh, NPR um, about this really fancy cheesemaker in Northern California, and she was talking about the secret to her mac and cheese. And, um, you know, these wheels are like $30 for like a two-inch wheel of cheese. <laughs> and uh, she said, you know, my secret is I put five types of cheese in it. And uh, that <laughs> always kind of resonated with me because I think, um, you know, where something is lacking, as you said, you know, another thing could contribute and it can make a more complex and more round uh, end result. So uh, I really like doing some some blends. Yeah, for sure. That's actually something we talk about uh, when I when I talk to people about our coffee. Um, our, our espresso blend is actually a blend. Um, most of our other coffees are not. But the reason for that is the espresso, it's very hot very fast and it's high pressure so the water goes through there really quick so when you we tried it when my dad was building the company he would try some of his favorite single origin coffees but you would just get a little bit of one of those flavor notes and you wouldn't get a complete flavor and so we found by combining it you get the the stronger notes of multiple coffees and that gets you this this espresso shot yeah exactly so uh you know so speaking of coffee like 
Um, at home, I, I, I really like like uh, Guatemalan coffee. I think the the acid's not you know too too high, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes uh, I'll be really pleasantly surprised when I have a nice blend that's you know marries these attributes, just like you said. Yeah. 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 No, I think we. In the, I feel like it, a lot of times in like the upper world echelons of some of these coffee, wine, cider, it's like all about the single origin. But it's like well, sometimes if you you break the rule a little bit, you, you blend, you actually end up with kind of a better product. Yeah, and that's actually mostly my philosophy. So I do make single varietals because people like to know, you know, what this actual apple tastes like. Mm-hmm. Um, and some apples are, are fantastic by themselves. I think um, just in the United States, there's like 7,000 types of apples. Yep. And um, it could be even better because nothing is perfect on its own. You know, I think <laughs> unity is kind of the, the key to life and diversity. So um, definitely marrying these flavors it will, in my mind, produce an even better cider. Yeah, very cool. So we mentioned at the top of the show that you are um, were the first pomalier in Skagit. What is a pomalier, and what are kind of the steps to become that? Yeah, so um, the wine world has a similar uh, certification called sommelier, and that is a wine expert. And beer has a cicerone, which is a beer expert. And um, I wanted to know everything that I could about cider so that I could make the best possible cider. And so, um, luckily, the American Cider Association, um, if you go to their website, um, they have two different classes of certified cider professionals. And so, the first one is um, mostly for people in the industry, so um, people working in restaurants and bars, if they wanted to know more about cider, um, so that if a customer comes in and asks, they are able to explain it intelligently intelligently uh, <laughs> That's a word. yeah and um so i took that test and um uh just through having read many books already on the subject it was pretty um straightforward and i was able to pass pretty well um so if you wanted to go even further beyond that and be a true expert insider you could become a certified uh, pommelier and that's a certified cider professional too um, and so it's actually a pretty rigorous uh, test so um, good to have tried lots of ciders yeah. and um, read lots of books uh, luckily I've since this topic interested me already <laughs> I've had already read many of the books on their suggested reading list um, but then you fly out so now uh, I flew that year to um, to Virginia and um, sat for the test at, at Cider Con. So they have one every year. Um, this, it's always in Chicago. And then every other year, it's East Coast, West Coast. So this coming year in um, beginning of 2024, it'll be in Portland. If anybody's wow. into cider, you should go check it out. Okay. Um, but so I flew to Richmond and sat for the test. It was a four-hour written test on all things cider, so history of cider, um, types of cider apples, cider growing regions, uh, food pairings, um, 
like anything you can think about cider. I had not written <laughs> that much because it was a written test in years, and yeah. my hand was like cramped. <laughs> uh, so after the written portion, then there's the sensory analysis portion. And so it's about an hour and a half or two hours. Um, you taste ciders and have to list attributes. Um, so, for instance, they put three ciders in front of you. You um, have to do like a head-to-toe assessment. I call it that because I'm a nurse. But um, <laughs> basically, uh, you look at the, the color, the clarity, the carbonation, and then you smell it for the aroma profile, uh, and then the flavor profile, and then... Um, you know, the, the body, um, the length, uh, acid sweetness, um, bitterness. Uh, so they put these three ciders. You have to fully describe them. And six other Pomaliers who did not take the test together wrote their notes and yours have to match theirs. Uh, also, you have to tell where in the world did this come from? And if so, what apple do you think was used in it? And so it's a pretty... <laughs> hard test and actually I had to take the sensory uh, analysis portion twice which isn't uncommon I think they had like a 3% pass rate Um, and so uh, yeah that was about two years ago and uh, so now I I help with uh, sensory analysis we just did a um, a tasting a virtual tasting with uh, the American Cider Association just last month that went well Uh, for people who are interested in cider they want to uh, taste and experience more ciders. They want to learn how to do a sensory analysis. Uh, and also for people who want to become certified pomaliers. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you suggest, because this is something I was looking up when it came to wine as well, when you're trying to learn flavors and profiles. Mm-hmm. What are your suggestions to people that want to increase their palate, increase their ability to kind of distinguish these very fine margins? Yeah. So I think drink lots of wine. And then, you know, there's nothing, um, your descriptor's not wrong. It might not be the right one, but you could add more descriptors. And I think these flavor wheels, if you've ever seen them, yeah. are really helpful. Yep. So beyond saying this tastes like palm fruit, all right, let's go a little bit deeper. <laughs> Is it apple? Is it pear? Is it quince? Okay, let's go a little bit deeper than that. Is it a red apple? Is it a green apple? Let's keep going. Is it the apple skin? Is it cooked apple? Uh, so you can say the same things with like uh, white flowers or um, like uh, grassy botanicals, herbaceous notes, uh, stone fruit. Um, so you can begin with stone fruit and then end up with like sour cherry. And so just the further you can go down, and that's really just practice, I think. Um, just really opening your senses and trying to just go a little bit further with your descriptions. Um it's pretty neat, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And I love that, actually. That that makes a lot of sense of, like, basically going down the, the kingdom, you know, family tree, like, of, like, okay, so, like, let's large categorize this, and then let's go to the next level. Because then, then you're not feeling like, what I find is when I look at, like, those flavor wheels, you're all the way down to, like, black pepper, white pepper, like, heavy cinnamon, light, like, so detailed at that point, I'm like, how do I go from just tasting it to like, yeah, cinnamon. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And so you'll just start with like warm spices, right? Oh, yeah, this is warm spices. I kind of think of like the autumn or pumpkin pie or whatever else you have cinnamon in. And then you just kind of keep going at it until maybe you land at, at cinnamon. Um, it, In some cases, it's it can be difficult. I was 
doing this uh, tasting, I, was, I took courses with the Cider Institute of North America, CENA, and they had a sensory analysis course, and um, I was... I, was at a loss for words. I have smelt this. I have tasted this. What is this? And I was thinking, it's an, it's nuts. It's it's nutty. Uh, what is this? And it turned out it was marzipan, which isn't even in my vocabulary, but it's <laughs> it's almond basically. Yeah. So I was on the right track. I just didn't have that word. Yeah. Very cool. So then, um, when you guys are making the cider, uh, it's it's fermented, not uh, brewed. Can you give us like a simplified version of the process you take to, to make cider? Yeah, so uh, making cider is under a winery license, mm-hmm. and so it's absolutely not brewed at all. Uh, that would be under a brewery license. But um, so the way the way that we make cider, and um, there's many routes to get to the same destination. But how we make cider is. Uh, here we've already started picking a little bit of fruit. It's mid-August right now. Uh, next, in the beginning of the month in September, we're going to be full-on uh, harvesting fruit all the way through um, part into mid-October. And um, so we uh, pick fresh fruit off the tree, and we'll let it set out for a week or two. Um, so the any extra moisture that's in the apples is called sweating, kind of comes off, and the flavors and the sugars are more concentrated. And then we'll um, grind the apples down um, into, we mill them down to fine particles, and then uh, we use a press to extract the juice, so the press squeezes all the juice out that you can. And then um, we'll continue doing that over and over and over until we fill large vessels. Um, And then uh, we do some laboratory analysis on the juice to see what the characteristics are. We look at the total acid, at the uh, pH, at the sugar content, um, among other things. And then uh, so we pitch yeast. Some people use the yeast that's naturally occurring on the fruit Mm -hmm. and I'd be interested to start doing that more and more uh, as my trees come into fruition Um, but for now I I really want the cider to come out and that's sort of a gamble (laughs) when you're just using what's naturally there Uh, so we pitch yeast and um, What what does that mean pitch yeast dump it in okay <laughs> that's just the the term so okay uh, we measure out a specific amount so if we need to we could adjust um uh the ph or uh the total acidity or anything else so that um, we have it's there's a uh, a term that says you're not really um making cider you're making a happy environment for the yeast Mm. so as we said earlier the yeast kind of controls the overall flavor and so we want the the medium uh the liquid which is the the apple juice Mm -hmm. to be um in good ranges and so that the yeast will be happy so we add yeast to it give it a stir and then we just kind of let it do its thing. So we will probably finish all of our pressing um, just after Halloween. So we only press in season when the fruit's ripe. We pick it and then we press it and then we ferment the juice. Um, and then we just kind of let it do its thing. Uh, some fermentations are faster or slower depending on the temperature. Um, and then we'll revisit it after the winter time and um, start uh 
racking it, which it means, uh, so as the yeast uh, die after, so the yeast produce two things. So they produce uh, CO2 and alcohol. And then once they've done their job, they die and float down to the bottom. And so there'll be a cake of sediment on the bottom called the lees. And we'll rack the cider. So we'll take the juice, uh, the, the liquid, the, the cider off of the lees. And that'll help to clarify it. And then we'll age it further. And um, probably in about March, we'll start uh, filtering and then carbonating and bottling. Okay. Yeah, so that's uh, basically how you make cider. Yeah. If you're interested, I'm teaching a class uh, just up north at um, Cloud Mountain Farm Center. It's a nonprofit farm up near uh, Bellingham. Okay. And I'm teaching a class there on September 3rd. Um, it's a beginner's class on how to make cider. So we'll bring fresh juice that was just pressed, and I'll bring all the uh, equipment, and everybody gets to take what they make. It should be a fun time. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. So do you guys do all the picking, or do you guys have friends, family come over, or how do you guys do all the harvest? So uh, I'll just be picking a lot of fruit, and uh, <laughs> also, uh, you know, my my wife is, um, her name is Heather, and she's uh, part owner in everything that I have, and we also uh, force our children to help us. Nice. Uh, that usually lasts for about an afternoon that they'll uh-huh. all come help. And uh, so I'll just be picking, picking, picking. Uh, as uh, my orchard grows more, definitely we'll have to have um, some some labor come to help us. I'm also kind of planting things in a sort of futuristic um, method. Uh, at, right here at WSU in Mount Vernon, they're trialing... Um, machines for mechanization of pruning and uh, harvesting of, of apples. Okay. And so their machine, which looks like a really large berry picker, can go over the row and pick 100 feet of apple in about 10 minutes. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so that same row would probably take me, you know, a day and a half. Um, wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm planting things in an orientation where... This equipment can be used. I don't think I'll ever be able to own this equipment, but um, someday down the line, they probably will have a service where people buy this equipment and will come provide it for you. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, so uh, <clears throat> as far as the ciders that you make, um, what are what's one of your... I'm sure all of them, you, you enjoy all of them, but what is kind of some of your favorite that you produce? Sure. Uh, so I think... Um, Kind of depending on the time of year cause, uh, or what you're eating, you know. If you're just having a cider and you want something sessionable, I think our uh, dry cider is delightful. Um, our semi-sweet is the only one that I add an adjunct to. It has a little bit of local honey. Uh, it's not sweet, but it's not dry. It's a semi. And um, I think both of those are pretty sessionable. Um, uh, having something with a meal, uh, for instance, a, a brought you um, uh, a couple of single varietals, but um, our rosé, which just won a platinum award at Cidercraft Magazine, um, wow. it is, it would be phenomenal with um, like fish tacos or fish seafood, um, chicken, uh, anytime in the summer, even just on the patio without food would be good. Yeah. Um, it's it's quite bright and, and nice and tart, uh, very aromatic and flavorful. Um, I think like our, uh, our Perry, which is really, really dry would, um, go 
nicely with something that's a little bit more rich in flavor. So like um, a stew or maybe some lamb, something like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, often when you're food pairing uh, with cider, um, there's... Uh, a couple of C's to look for, so either something to complement the dish, um, something to contrast the dish, um, something from the same area. Um, so I think uh, wild-caught salmon with um, this rosé would be delightful. Um, our wood age that I brought you, it's a single varietal. It's been uh, aged six months in uh, freshly emptied bourbon barrels. Um, that's more of a sipper. Um, just sitting out by a nice fire in the autumn would be would be great with that. Yeah, very cool. I'm so excited for those, by the way. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, all right. So on top of all the other things that we've you've got going on right now, um, we're working towards building up our very first cider event here on Kameno. Um, so we're starting the Kameno Cider Fest. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully this is our first annual one. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, what got you involved in it. Yeah. So um, one of the um, people who have a place here in the Kameno Commons, um, Brian, he uh, has been a customer of mine for a while. And um, he was talking about the potential to have a uh, cider fest. The area here is so beautiful. This amphitheater overlooking the ocean. I mean, you can't really get to a better spot. Yeah. And we're surrounded by all these great cideries. Um, I wanted to, to help start something like this for a while. And uh, I know quite a few people in the industry. Um, so I, I was definitely on board. Uh, we got to meet you and, and our other uh, co-contributors. Um, and so having a, a, a venue that can facilitate all the people in such a beautiful spot and um, my minor job of just knowing other people who are cider makers, I thought that was a good fit. <laughs> and uh, I want to be a part of it year after year. So hopefully successful. Anybody listening out there, it's uh, September 2nd. You should come out. Uh, it's going to be nice weather and good cider. Yeah, for sure. And we will have tickets. I'll have the link to the tickets below. Um, in the show notes, we've got two different time slots that you can sign up for. I believe it's at 11 o'clock and a 2 o'clock, if I'm correct. Right. Yes. And uh, so you, if any during your window, you're able to go in and use your tokens to try out the different cideries that will be here. There will be live music. Um, all the restaurants will be open that are here in the complex. Um, it should be a good time. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. So, awesome. And I forgot to ask, where can people find Alma Cider in the stores and stuff? Sure. So, um, come find it where we make it. Um, so, we're uh, on Mount uh, Memorial Highway in Mount Vernon at Tulip Valley Winery, and that's where we make the cider. Uh, we're also in, like, um, 26 stores, and so... Um, Right here in Camino, we're at Tapped Camino. Uh, check us out when you're here. And then um, we're at all the taps, actually. So Mukilteo um, and Edmonds, sorry, Mill Creek. And um, we're, we're in Seattle. Look on our site. We have a list of all the places. So we're mostly Perfect. up north um, from Bellingham down to South Seattle. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely link to that on the in the show notes as well. So 
go, be sure to go check those out. Um, I'm excited to, to try all the different sides that guys offer. Nice. Very cool. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. All right. So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Uh, $100 or, or less. Let's see. I think uh, this kind of be kind of a lame answer, but uh, uh, I have a little hand capper that I like uh, <laughs> to use just uh, in my garage for my personal uh, cider making. Nice. Very cool. Um, who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Um, most influential person. I think um, I actually have had a lot of great uh, mentors and influencers. Uh, I think Dr. Carol Miles at the Extension in Mount Vernon. She is the interim director and she's in charge of the horticulture department there. She was my committee chair and uh, she really just gave me a chance and um, I had no agriculture experience and she took me on to be uh, her graduate student and um, she's been a, a great influence. Awesome. All right. This is a fill in the blank question. I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. Uh, so someday, and I don't know when it'll be, but I'm going to drive from here in North, North America all the way down to the southern tip of Chile. Very cool. Yes. That's awesome. All right. Uh, who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Uh, anybody who's going to be here for the uh, Camino Cider Fest. Um, I think uh, there will be a lot of interesting folks who are like-minded and uh, want to grow things and make things and uh, make people happy. Yeah. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Uh, don't go too big too fast. Uh, take your time. You'll get there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Dave Clower for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. Don't forget to buy your tickets for Kameno Cider Fest, the very first annual. You can only have one first, so, uh, so let's make it a big one, and let's make sure that um, you guys are able to be there too so you can have that on your uh, bucket list there. Um, again, we'll have links to that in the description below, as well as all the different things that we, Dave and I talked about. And for more information on this episode, like I said, go to the show notes, uh, or you can go to commandocommons.com slash podcast uh, to get a list of all of our other episodes, uh, or listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I will talk to you on the next one.